0: section 18 of pamela or virtue rewarded this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org pamela or virtue rewarded by samuel richardson section 18 monday morning 11 o'clock we are just come in here to the inn kept by mrs duke's relation the first compliment i had was in a very imprudent manner how i liked the squire i could not help saying bold forward woman is it for you who keep an inn to treat passengers at this rate she was but in jest she said and asked pardon and she came and begged excuse again very submissively after robin and mr colburn had talked to her a little the latter here in great form gave me before robin the letter which i had given him back for that purpose and i retired as if to read it and so i did for i think i can't read it too often though for my peace of mind's sake i might better try to forget it i am sorry methinks i cannot bring you back a sound heart but indeed it is an honest one as to anybody but me for it has deceived nobody else wicked thing that it is more and more surprising things still just as i had sat down to try to eat a bit of victuals to get ready to pursue my journey came in mr colbrand in a mighty hurry Oh, madame, madame, said he, here be a groom from Squire B, all over in a lather, man and horse. Oh, how my heart went pit-a-pat! What now, thought I, is to come next? He went out, and presently returned with a letter for me, and another enclosed for Mr. Colbrand. This seemed odd, and put me in all a-trembling. So I shut the door, and never sure was the like known, found the following agreeable contents in vain my pamela do i find it to struggle against my affection for you i must needs after you were gone venture to entertain myself with your journal when i found mrs jukes bad usage of you after your dreadful temptations and hurts and particularly your generous concern for me on hearing how narrowly i escaped drowning though my death would have been your freedom and i had made it your interest to wish it and your most agreeable confession in, in another place that notwithstanding all my hard usage of you you could not hate me and that expressed in so sweet so soft and so innocent a manner that i flatter myself you may be brought to love me together with the other parts of your admirable journal i began to repent my parting with you but god is my witness for no unlawful end as you would call it but the very contrary and the rather as all this was improved in your favour by your behaviour at leaving my house for oh that melodious voice praying for me at your departure and thanking me for my rebuke to mrs duke still hangs upon my ears and delights my memory and though I went to bed I could not rest, but about two got up, and made Thomas get one of the best horses ready, in order to set out to overtake you, while I sat down to write this to you. Now, my dear Pamela, let me beg of you, on the receipt of this, to order Robin to drive you back again to my house. I would have set out myself, for the pleasure of bearing you company back in the chariot, but am really indisposed. I believe, with vexation, that I should part thus with my soul's delight, as I now find you are, and must be, in spite of the pride of my own heart." You cannot imagine the obligation your return will lay me under to your goodness, and yet, if you will not so far favour me, you shall be under no restraint, as you will see by my letter enclosed to Colbrand, which I have not sealed that you may read it. But spare me, my dearest girl, the confusion of following you to your father's, which I must do, if you persist to go on, for I find I cannot live a day without you. If you are the generous Pamela I imagine you to be, for hitherto you have been all goodness, where it has not been merited let me see by this new instance the further excellence of your disposition let me see you can forgive the man who loves you more than himself let me see by it that you are not prepossessed in any other person's favour and one instance more i would beg and then i am all gratitude and that is that you would dispatch monsieur Colbrand with a letter to your father assuring him that all will end happily and to desire that he will send to you at my house the letters you found means by william's conveyance to send him and when i have all my proud and perhaps punctilious doubts answered i shall have nothing to do but to make you happy and be so myself for i must be yours and only yours monday morn near three o'clock o my exulting heart how it throbs in my bosom as if it would reproach me for so lately upbraiding it for giving way to the love of so dear a gentleman but take care thou art not too credulous neither o fond believer things that we wish are apt to gain a too-ready credence with us this sham marriage is not yet cleared up mrs jukes the vile mrs jukes may yet instigate the mind of this master his pride of heart and pride of condition may again take place and a man that could in so little a space first love me then hate then banish me his house and send me away disgracefully and now send for me again in such affectionate terms may still waver may still deceive thee therefore i will not acquit thee yet o credulous fluttering throbbing mischief that art so ready to believe what thou wishest and i charge thee to keep better guard than thou hast lately done and need me not to follow too implicitly thy flattering and desirable impulses thus foolishly dialogued i with my heart and yet all the time this heart is pamela i opened the letter to monsieur colbrand which was in these words Monsieur. I am sure you'll excuse the trouble I give you. I have, for good reasons, changed my mind, and I have besought it as a favor that Mrs. Andrews will return to me the moment Tom reaches you. I hope, for the reasons I have given her, she will have the goodness to oblige me. But, if not, you are to order Robin to pursue his directions and set her down at her father's door. If she will oblige me in her return, perhaps she'll give you a letter to her father for some papers to be delivered to you for her, which will be so good, in that case, to bring to her here— But if she will not give you such a letter, you'll return with her to me, if she please to favour me so far, and that with all expedition, that her health and safety will permit, for I am pretty much indisposed, but hope it will be but slight, and soon go off. I am, yours, etc. On second thoughts, let Tom go forward with Mrs. Andrew's letter, if she please to give one, and you return with her, for her safety. Now this is a dear generous manner of treating me. Oh, how I love to be generously used! now my dear parents i wish i could consult you for your opinions how i should act should i go back or should i not i doubt he has got too great a hold in my heart for me to be easy presently if i should refuse and yet this gypsy information makes me fearful well i will i think trust in his generosity yet is it not too great a trust especially considering how i have been used but then that was while he avowed his bad designs and now he gives me great hope of his good ones and i may be the means of making many happy as well as myself by placing a generous confidence in him and then i think he might have sent to Colrend or to robin to carry me back whether i would or not and how different is his behaviour to that and it would not look as if i was prepossessed as he calls it if i don't obliged him and as if it was a silly female piece of pride to make him follow me to my father's and as if i would use him hardly in my turn for his having used me ill in his upon the whole i resolve to obey him and if he uses me ill afterwards double will be his ungenerous guilt though hard will be my lot to have my credulity so justly blamable as it will seem then for to be sure the world the wise world that is never wrong itself judges always by events and if he should use me ill then i shall be blamed for trusting him if well oh then i did right to be sure but how would my censurers act in my case before the event justifies or condemns the action is the question then i have no notion of obliging by halves but of doing things with a grace as one may say where they are to be done and so i wrote the desired letter to you assuring you that i had before me happier prospects than i ever had and hoped all would end well and that i begged you would send me by the bearer mr thomas my master's groom those papers which i had sent to you by mr williams's conveyance for that they imported me much for clearing up a point in my conduct that my master was desirous to know before he resolved to favour me as he intended but you will have that letter before you can have this for i would not send you this without the proceeding which is now in my master's hands and so having given the letter to mr thomas for him to carry to you when he had bated and rested after his great fatigue I sent for M- Monsieur Colbrand and Robin, and gave to the former his letter, and when he had read it I said, You see how things stand. I am resolved to return to our master, and as he is not so well as were to be wished, the more haste you make the better, and don't mind my fatigue, but consider only yourselves and the horses. Robin, who guessed the matter, by his conversation with Thomas, as I suppose, said, God bless you, madame, and reward you, as your obligingness to my good master deserves, and may we all live to see you triumph over Mrs. Jukes.' I wondered to hear him say so, for I was always careful of exposing my master, or even that naughty woman, before the common servants. But yet I question whether Robin would have said this, if he had not guessed, by Thomas's message and my resolving to return, that I might stand well with his master. So selfish are the hearts of poor mortals that they are ready to change as favour goes. So they were not long in getting ready, and I am just sitting out back again, and I hope I shall have no reason to repent it. Robin put on very vehemently, and when we came to the little town where we lay on Sunday night, he gave his horses a bait, and said he would push for his masters that night, as it would be moonlight, if I should not be too much fatigued, because there was no place between that and the town adjacent to his masters, fit to put up at for the night. But Monsieur Colbrand's horse, beginning to give way, made a doubt between them. Wherefore I said, hating to be on the road, if it could be done, i should bear it well enough i hoped and that monsieur colbrand might leave his horse when it failed at some house and come into the chariot this pleased them both and about twelve miles short he left the horse and took off his spurs and holsters etc and with abundance of ceremonial excuses came into the chariot and i sat the easier for it for my bones ached sadly with the jolting and so many miles travelling in so few hours as i have done from sunday night five o'clock but for all this it was eleven o'clock at night when we came into the village adjacent to my master's and the horses began to be very much tired and robin too but i said it would be pity to put up only three miles short of the house so about one we reached the gate but everybody was abed but one of the helpers got the keys from mrs jukes and opened the gates and the horses could hardly crawl into the stable and i when i went to get out of the chariot fell down and thought i had lost the use of my limbs mrs jukes came down with her clothes huddled on and lifted up her hands and eyes at my return but showed more care of the horses than of me by that time the two maids came and i made shift to creep in as well as i could it seems my poor master was very ill indeed and had been upon the bed most part of the day and abraham who succeeded john sat up with him and he was got into a fine sleep, and heard not the coach come in, nor the noise noisy made, for his chamber lies towards the garden, on the other side of the house. Mrs. Jukes said he had a feverish complaint, and had been blooded, and, very prudently, ordered Abraham, when he awaked, not to tell him I was come, for fear of surprising him, and augmenting his fever, nor, indeed, to say anything of me, till she herself broke it to him in the morning, as she should see how he was so i went to bed with mrs jukes after she had caused me to drink almost half a pint of burnt wine made very rich in cordial with spices which i found very refreshing and set me into a sleep i little hoped for tuesday morning getting up pretty early i have written thus far while mrs jukes lies snoring in bed fetching up her last night's disturbance i long for her rising to know how my poor master does "'Tis well for her she can sleep so purely. "'No love but for herself will ever break her rest, I am sure. "'I am deadly sore all over, as if I had been soundly beaten. "'I did not think I could have lived under such fatigue. "'Mrs. Jukes, as soon as she got up, "'went to know how my master did, and he had had a good night, "'and, having drank plentifully of sackway, "'had sweated much, so that his fever had abated considerably. "'She said to him that he must not be surprised, "'and she would tell him news. "'He asked what?' And she said i was come he raised himself up on his bed can it be said he what already she told him i came last night monsieur Colbrand coming to inquire of his health he ordered him to draw near him and was highly pleased with the account he gave him of the journey my readiness to come back and my willingness to reach home that night and he said why these tender fair ones i think bear fatigue better than us men but she is very good to give me such an instance of her readiness to oblige me pray mrs duke said he take great care of her health and let her be abed all day she told him i had been up these two hours ask her said he if she will be so good as to make me a visit if she won't i'll rise and go to her indeed sir said she you must be still and i'll go to her but don't urge her too much said he if she be unwilling she came to me and told me all the above and i said i would most willingly wait upon him for indeed i longed to see him and was much grieved he was so ill so I went down with her. Will she come, said he, as I entered the room? Yes, sir, said we, and she said, at the first word, most willingly. Sweet excellence, said he. As soon as he saw me, he said, "Oh, my beloved Pamela, you have made me quite well. I am concerned to return my acknowledgments to you in so unfit a place and manner, but will you give me your hand? I did, and he kissed it with great eagerness. Sir, said I, you do me too much honour. I am sorry you are so ill. I can't be ill, said he, while you are with me. I am very well already. Well, said he, and kissed my hand again, you shall not repent this goodness. My heart is too full of it to express myself as I ought. But I am sorry you have had such a fatiguing time of it. Life is no life without you. If you had refused me, and yet I had hardly hopes you would oblige me, I should have had a severe fit of it, I believe. For I was taken very oddly, and knew not what to make of myself. But now I shall be well instantly." "'You need not, Mrs. Jukes," added he, "'send for the doctor from Stamford, as we talked yesterday, "'for this lovely creature is my doctor, as her absence was my disease.' "'He begged me to sit down by his bedside, and asked me "'if I had obliged him with sending for my former packet. "'I said I had, and hoped it would be brought. "'He said it was doubly kind. "'I would not stay long because of disturbing him.' and he got up in the afternoon and desired my company, and seemed quite pleased, easy, and much better. He said, Mrs. Jukes, after this instance of my good Pamela's obligingness in her return, I am sure we ought to leave her entirely at her own liberty, and pray, if she pleases to take a turn in our chariot, or in the garden, or to the town, or wherever she will, let her be left at liberty, and ask no questions. And do you do all in your power to oblige her? She said she would, to be sure." He took my hand and said, "'One thing I will tell you, Pamela, because I know you will be glad to hear it, and yet not care to ask me. I had, before you went, taken Williams's bond for the money, for how the poor man had behaved I can't tell, but he could get no bail, and if I have no fresh reason given me, perhaps I shall not exact the payment, and he has been some time at Liberty, and now follows his school, but, methinks, I could wish you would not see him at present.' "'Sir,' said I, "'I will not do anything to disoblige you wilfully, and I am glad he is at liberty, because I was the occasion of his misfortunes. I durst say no more, though I wanted to plead for the poor gentleman, which ingratitude I thought I ought, when I could do him service. I said, "'I am sorry, sir, Lady Davers, who loves you so well, should have incurred your displeasure, and that there should be any variance between your honour and her. I hope it was not on my account.' he took out of his waistcoat pocket as he sat in his gown his letter-case and said here pamela read that when you go upstairs and let me have your thoughts upon it and that will let you into the affair he said he was very heavy of a sudden and would lie down and indulge for that day and if he was better in the morning would take an airing in the chariot and so i took my leave for the present and went up to my closet and read the letter he was pleased to put into my hands which is as follows "Brother." I am very uneasy at what I hear of you, and must write, whether it please you or not, my full mind. I have had some people with me, desiring me to interpose with you, and they have a greater regard for your honour than, I am sorry to say it, you have yourself. Could I think that a brother of mine would so meanly run away with my late dear mother's waiting-maid, and keep her a prisoner from all her friends, and to the disgrace of your own? But I thought, when you would not let the wench come to me on my mother's death, that you meant no good. I blush for you, I'll assure you the girl was an innocent good girl but i suppose that's over with her now or soon will what can you mean by this let me ask you either you will have her for a kept mistress or for a wife if the former there are enough to be had without ruining a poor wench that my mother loved and who really was a very good girl and of this you may be ashamed as to the other i dare say you don't think of it but if you should you would be utterly inexcusable consider brother that ours is no upstart family but is as ancient as the best in the kingdom and, for several hundreds of years, it has never been known that the heirs of it have disgraced themselves by unequal matches. And you know you have been sought to by some of the best families in the nation for your alliance. It might be well enough, if you were descended of a family of yesterday, or but a remove or two from the dirt you seem so fond of. But let me tell you that I, in all mine, will renounce you for ever, if you can descend so meanly, and I shall be ashamed to be called your sister. A handsome man, as you are, in your person— so happy in the gifts of your mind, that everybody body courts your company, and possessed of such a noble and clear estate, and very rich in money besides, left you by the best of fathers and mothers, with such ancient blood in your veins untainted. For you to throw away yourself thus is intolerable, and it would be very wicked in you to ruin the wench too, so that I beg you will restore her to her parents, and give her one hundred pounds or so, to make her happy in some honest fellow of her own degree and that will be doing something and will also oblige and pacify your much grieved sister if i have written too sharply consider it is my love to you and the shame you are bringing upon yourself and i wish this may have the effect upon you intended by your very loving sister this is a sad letter my dear father and mother and one may see how poor people are despised by the proud and the rich and yet we were all on a foot originally and many of these gentry that brag of their ancient blood would be glad to have it as wholesome and as really untainted as ours surely these proud people never think what a short-stage life is and that with all their vanity a time is coming when they shall be obliged to submit to be on a level with us and true said the philosopher when he looked upon the skull of a king and that of a poor man that he saw no difference between them besides do they not know that the richest of princes and the poorest of beggars are to have one great and tremendous judge at the last day who will not distinguish between them according to their circumstances in life but on the contrary may make their condemnations the greater as their neglected opportunities were the greater poor souls how i do pity their pride Oh, keep me heaven from their high condition if my mind shall ever be tainted with their vice or polluted with so cruel and inconsiderate a contempt of the humble estate which they behold with so much scorn but besides how do these gentry know that supposing they could trace back their ancestry for one two three or even five hundred years that then the original stems of these poor families though they have not kept such elaborate records of their good-for-nothingness as it often proves were not still deeper rooted and how can they be assured that one hundred years hence or two some of these now despised upstart families may not revel in their estates while their descendants may be reduced to the other's dunghills and perhaps such is the vanity as well as the changeableness of human estates in their turn set up for pride of family and despise the others these reflections occurred to my thoughts made serious by my master's indisposition and this proud letter of the lowly lady davers against the high-minded pamela Lowly, I say, because she could stoop to such vain pride, and high minded I, because I hope I am too proud to ever do the like. But, after all, poor wretches that we be, we scarce know what we are, much less what we shall be. But once more pray I to be kept from the sinful pride of such a high estate. On this occasion, I recall the following lines, which I have read, where the poet argues in a much better manner: Wise Providence. Does various parts for various minds dispense, The meanest slaves, or those who hedge and ditch, Are useful by their sweat to feed the rich. The rich, in due return, impart their store, Which comfortably feeds the laboring poor. Nor let the rich the lowest slave disdain, He's equally a link of nature's chain. Labor's to the same end joins in one view, And both alike the divine will pursue, And at the last are leveled king and slave, Without distinction in the silent grave. WEDNESDAY MORNING My master sent me a message just now, that he was so much better that he would take a turn after breakfast in the chariot, and would have me give him my company. I hope I shall know how to be humble, and comport myself as I should do, under all these favours. Mrs. Jukes is one of the most obliging creatures in the world, and I have such respect shown me by every one, as if I was as great as Lady Davers, but now, if they should all end in the sham marriage, it cannot be, I hope, yet the pride of greatness and ancestry and such like is so strongly set out in lady daver's letter that i cannot flatter myself to be so happy as all these desirable appearances make for me should i be now deceived i should be worse off than ever but i shall see what light this new honour will procure me so i'll get ready but i won't i think change my garb should i do it it would look as if i would be nearer on a level with him and yet should i not it might be thought a disgrace to him but I will, I think, open the portmanteau, and, for the first time since I came hither, put on my best silk nightgown. But then that will be making myself a sort of right to the clothes I had renounced, and I am not yet quite sure I shall have no other crosses to encounter. So I will go as I am, for, though ordinary, I am as clean as a penny, though I say it. So I'll e'en go as I am, except he orders otherwise. Yet Mrs. Duke says I ought to dress as fine as I can, but, I say, I think not. As my master is up, and at breakfast, I will venture down to ask him how he will have me. Well, he is kinder and kinder, and, thank God, purely recovered. How charmingly he looks to what he did yesterday, blessed be God for it. He arose, and came to me, and took me by the hand, and would set me down by him, and he said, My charming girl seems going to speak, what would you say? Sir, said I, a little ashamed, I think it is too great an honour to go into the chariot with you no my dear pamela said he the pleasure of your company will be the greater than the honour of mine and so say no more on that head but sir said i i shall disgrace you to go thus you would grace a prince my fair one said the good kind kind gentleman in that dress or any you shall choose and you look so pretty that if you shall not catch cold in that round-eared cap you shall go just as you are but sir said i then you'll be pleased to go a by-way that it mayn't be seen you do so much honour to your servant o oh, my good girl said he i doubt you are afraid of yourself being talked of more than me for i hope by degrees to take off the world's wonder and teach them to expect what is to follow as a due to my pamela Oh, the dear good man there's for you my dear father and mother did i not do well now to come back Oh, could i get rid of my fears of this sham marriage for all this is not yet inconsistent with that frightful scheme i should be too happy so i came up with great pleasure for my gloves and now wait his kind commands dear dear, sir said i to myself as if i was speaking to him for god's sake let me have no more trials and reverses for i could not bear it now i verily think at last the welcome message came that my master was ready and so i went down as fast as i could and he before all the servants handed me in as if i was a lady and then came in himself mrs jukes begged he would take care he did not catch cold as he had been ill and i had the pride to hear his new coachman say to one of his fellow-servants They are a charming pair, I am sure. 'Tis pity they should be parted. Oh my dear father and mother, I fear your girl will grow as proud as anything, and especially you will think I have reason to guard against it when you read the kind particulars I am going to relate Section eighteen